Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and Bulldog fans everywhere. It's a nice, refreshing, really, really exciting episode of the Maroon Mike. I'm your co-host, Colton Watson. I'm your other co-host, Lounge Dog. And refreshing because, you know, we're getting to a uh, back to some normalcy here. You got both co-hosts. Uh, my voice is a little bit hoarse from the yelling at the game in cold weather, but we're back to our old form, I would say, and it's very exciting because of the big win uh, Mississippi State got this weekend. More than covered the spread, um, more than uh, was really a big upset uh, in all phases, in all terms of the word. On Saturday, of course, I think by the end, I think by kickoff, we had come back favored to win by like a point. I think. Even though when I recorded the show Friday morning, we weren't. Is that accurate? Uh, to be honest with you, I couldn't remember. I knew the last time I saw Kentucky was minus one, but that wasn't like right before kickoff or anything or Saturday morning. Maybe not. Maybe we were always an underdog. I know FPI had us a slight favorite on ESPN's little machine there. Did um speaking of, I know we didn't get to our, to do our free money last week. Did you bet on the Bulldogs this week? I took the over in the game. What was the over under? Uh, like forty six and a half. So you hit it. Yes, I did. Good deal. All right. Well, I think it was it was an outstanding night um for for all Bulldogs involved. Um, nobody really. There's absolutely nothing I think you can complain about. For this game, uh, we're going to try to do it anyway. I'm going to talk about the negative things first, get those out of the way so we can focus the majority of the show not just celebrating, you know, we're not going to just toot our horns, but analyzing and discussing what went right. And most of what went wrong doesn't have anything to do with what happened on the field. Something that did happen on the field, but not to the football team, was the championship ceremony. And I, I'm using air quotes with the here the, with the word ceremony for the national champions, um, the Mississippi State Bulldog baseball team. It was I know I know you weren't there. You weren't there, right? I was not, so I okay. didn't see it. It was embarrassing. It was it was shameful. It was rushed. It was tacky, and it was unprofessional. Um, they basically in a three minute commercial spot, which is in between the first quarter and the second quarter. Which, when they originally said it, I thought, yeah, that'll be fine. You know, get them out there, parade them around, get them in. They decided they're just going to run them out there, and they're going to announce all their names. All of them. There's 40 players and all the coaches. They're going to announce all their names. And so, about halfway through, our PA announcer, who does a great job, realizes he's not going to get to the end of the line by the time the three minutes are up. So he starts rushing even faster when he wasn't given really enough time anyway. They basically just shoo him onto the field, call all their names out super fast. You don't even get to hear anybody's name because they're still applauding the last guy. The last two guys on the end are Tanner Allen and Coach Lamonis, and you can't hear their names called at all because it's time to get everybody off. And they just run off the field, and that was it. It was awful, and I'll tell you what else. Um, There was nine minutes left after the homecoming ceremony at halftime. Why couldn't we have just done it then? 
I know for a fact that they plan every second of the game. It's not like those nine minutes crept up on them. They had time to do them for five minutes and then still have warm-ups, you know, on the field. Like, they're, they're, they had plenty of time. They could have done it a lot better, and it was really, really sad that they had to squeeze that in there like that. Um, and I know the parade that they had last summer was amazing and that that was better than it could be expected, but my goodness. Get up too worked up about it. Of course, someone goofed up on time because like somebody don't realize it, that time between quarters goes pretty quickly. And like it takes thirty seconds to get them out there, and then it takes it t- took you know they were already running a play while they were still walking back to the clubhouse there behind the uh, the M club behind the score underneath the scoreboard. But it took them 35 seconds to get out there, and then they start calling names. And then, like I said, they they definitely wasn't rehearsed for sure. Uh, what they could have could have done is done it before the game, and and like before the people, game would have been fine. Yeah, tell people to get there at a certain time, get to their seat at a certain time, and be like, hey, I mean, it. They, I would have been okay if they had done something other than call out every single player's name. If they were going to only do three minutes, if they were if they were if they were confined to the three minute slot, a commercial break, they could have they should have thought of something else to do, something more creative than just going down the list. Dude, it was bad. They're calling the names out. He's calling like one out every two seconds. And then he gets halfway through and he realizes he's got only only got 45 seconds left. He starts calling them out faster. And it just was so tacky. It was bad. Another thing that we saw people complaining about, and even the beat writers are complaining about, and all this relates to Hell State marketing, and they used to be a super good, do a fantastic job. They've had a lot of turnover. They lost the, the director of athletics marketing a couple years ago, Rhett Hobart. And then they... um. Now, now let me get this right here. Yes, that's the right that's the right guy's name. That is his name. I was getting confused there. They lost him a couple years ago. I thought I, I thought I gave him the wrong last name and got him confused with somebody else, but I didn't. They lost him a couple years ago. They've had a lot of turnover, but and also a year ago, they were doing things so differently because of COVID, and everything was kind of messed up. So they that that experience is kind of useless, but. They do just a, a poor job. We can't get watch the replay review on the big screen half the time, and they had like four plays reviewed. And when there are reviews, if they do get the camera up there, which they normally don't, it's either way too slow or way too fast. Like, it's 2021. We have the technology, you know, to use a movie quote. We have the technology to watch So basically what you're say, saying is we have incompetent people in – Certain positions. Somebody, somewhere, yeah. I don't know if it's a technical issue or if it's a, or if it's just a poor planning or just poor management. I have to get on my phone on Twitter and see what people are saying about the review to decide, to decide what it is. And the thing was, it used to not be like that. Used to, you could. I remember two years ago, you could watch a game, and the review would be on the field, and you'd be like, "Yep." And they would either freeze it at the perfect moment, like if it's out of bounds or something, or they would just play it. In normal slow motion, not frame by frame, I can't tell anything from that. And sometimes it looks sped up, and you can't definitely can't tell anything. Like they're scrubbing the video, you know, like on YouTube when you touch the thing at the bar on the bottom and you scrub it to the end or something. That's what it looks like when they actually do it. It's terrible. They also don't show 
the uh, field goals on the screen. They showed one of them. There's three attempts, and they showed one field goal attempt. And so we all look stupid in the student section and, and then throughout the stadium. Not only do you have fans that don't have an angle, are they not only are they cheering for the field goal that didn't go in, but they 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 cheered so much that they fired off the fireworks because they couldn't tell. It barely missed. I'm sure you saw on TV. It didn't miss. I watched it again today. It didn't miss by much. But if they had had the camera up there where you can see it, we would have known it missed. So anyway, that was it's that has to change, and it's just you know little things like that do matter because because whether or not fans are able to accurately attribute what their negative experience of the game was, uh, negative game day experiences keep people in their seats at home. And that's part of the reason you're having trouble selling out uh, the the east side. They can't sell out either of the top sections or, nor the east side, and they haven't done it all year. It's, it's, so, it's so convenient just sit at the house and watch it. It's convenient, especially, you know, the argument's always, I can see every angle and see every part of the play. Well, with these huge screens, you should be able to do that here. You know, they should have, they should replay every play uh, on the screen, on the big screen, unless you're running like a hurry-up offense or unless it's just a, a, a crappy play that fans don't want to see again. And even then, I, I wouldn't mind it. I like to see what happened. Some fans wouldn't like that, but I, I don't care. If it's a bad play, I like to see who messed up, what was what we, should we have done different. Because, again, used to, they would do a quick replay of every play, and they would show the review if it was a review. Third thing that they need to get better, and we're spending too much time on this, but it is important. I don't know whose fault it was, but Fred Peters wasn't even in the building, and he was announced as a starter. You know, if it's 15 minutes before kickoff, fans probably would like to know if they're going to be missing a, a starting safety. Dollar Bill didn't play a single snap, and he was announced as a starter. I don't know where that happened. And I know, you know, you're keeping it close to the chest during the week if you're the coaches to um to, to not tip your hand, but they're not that has nothing to do with the starters announced fifteen minutes before the game. The preparation's been done at that point. So and then lastly, um they gotta get Richard Schwartz off of there. And I'm just gonna lump this in. This has been a, a common complaint for a few years now. And I'm just gonna throw this in there because even though it had nothing to do with the actual game or that or, or this actual instance. But I'm tired of seeing the face and hearing the voice of an Ole Miss booster every game. They do him for the one call, that's all, the review thing. Have you seen it? Have you been to a game where they show that? Um, uh, no. Okay, so how long have you lived in Alabama? Let's see, since 15. Okay, so Richard Schwartz is a big-time lawyer, and his motto is one call, that's all. Huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've heard the name. I didn't. I still didn't know he was an Ole Miss booster. Well, he is. He's at Southern Miss, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State. He sponsors replay reviews, and I imagine what the deal is is he signed a very a multi year contract that's several years, or they signed whoever is responsible because the videos they ha- he hasn't even updated them. He it, the, the he hasn't you know done a fresh one to make it a little bit better or anything like that. But. They got to get. I'm. I'm. I'm about tired of seeing an Ole Miss boosters hearing his face, seeing his face, hearing his voice. It's just annoying. That's that's me being nitpicky, but it, it is a common um common complaint. Now, another negative that also has nothing to do with us is that was supposed to be a really good officiating crew. It wasn't. It, that was bad. They called a couple holdings that were that were non-existent. Apparently, and this is not just from from Coach Leach and LaQuinston Sharp. Uh, I talked to somebody who, who's close with the running back 
room, and they said the same thing. It was the nose guard of Kentucky that's doing this, which is why it was almost always your offensive guards or the center that was responsible for the infractions. One time, LaQuinston didn't snap the ball. Another time, LaQuinston flinched. And I think both your guards had a few penalties. Your tackles didn't have any penalties. They actually called one on Lashley that was on the whole team, and they gave it to Scott, which is unfair because he's had a bunch, and he didn't have any yesterday. But the, the nose guard is simulating the snap count, and they could, didn't call it one time. I don't understand. That, that is illegal. That has always been a penalty. That's never been allowed. And so that's just ridiculous. And then you missed a couple holds. Um, one false start was on a receiver. was on Malik Heath. That wasn't about the snap count. But And then I'm sure, you, I'm sure you were screaming at your TV on the punt return. How many penalties did you see on that play? Well, no, actually, I wasn't able to watch the punt return. But I saw the highlight of it. And then I saw it on Twitter. Yeah, I know they missed that block in the back. I think they had a couple block. They had a block in the back, and they held and blocked. I think Chris. They blocked Tulu in the back, and I don't remember if it was Sherman Timms or Christian Ford, but they held and blocked somebody else in the back. Both they did both things to the same guy, and that and uh, I'll tell you one thing though, and this is going to translate into the last negative thing we'll talk about before we'll get off of it is we have to play better on special teams. If Tucker Day doesn't kick a line drive punt right to the guy, that doesn't happen either. You know, you shouldn't have your fastest guy on the team being the only one that gets there. And even though he was blocked in the back, I'm not sure he would have he would have slowed Ali down so that somebody else made the tackle, but I doubt he was going to be able to make that open field tackle anyway. But they've got you know, Tucker Day is inconsistent. I don't know what happened to Archer Trafford. I thought he was doing a fine job, and he did a good job in warm-ups. But they're back on Tucker Day. I am I like Tucker. He's a nice guy. I'm ready for him to move on, to graduate and move on. I think he has an, another year because of COVID, but I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't need to see that. He, he needs to go. He, he, he has a 50-yard punt, which is great, against his own, backed up in his own end zone, and then he had two more that were worthless. So – one act, both of them could have actively hurt. One did, and one of them could have actively hurt us. You, so you allowed a punt return, even with the penalties, but you allowed it. You missed a field goal. Jaden Wally, and he knows he messed up, didn't catch a punt at about the 12 or 15-yard line that he should have caught that was downed at the two. And that should have cost us points, if not for that turn, for the turnover Jalen Green had. You know, we end up not being able to do anything because we're in the shadow of our own goalposts. Kentucky gets the ball back on a short field, and they almost score. Um, you have a 16-yard point I already mentioned, and I don't know what that fair catch BS was. On oh, what did the t- did you, were you watching on TV at that point with the Tulu apparently fair caught it? Oh yeah. I rewatched the game the day I, I fast forwarded through the kickoffs just to, to save time, so I didn't stop and watch that specifically. What was that? I don't think it. I don't think it was a fair catch. Kind of overran and trying to keep his balance, and all of them just have to both really both of them kind of just just went up. Did they ever explain why that was down at the ten when he fair caught it? Well, I think it's a rule if it goes if your puncher if your head your arm or your arm goes above your shoulders. Right. So on a kickoff, if you, if your if your hands above your shoulders, you know I can understand if it wasn't a if it wasn't a fair catch, 
intentionally, if it was if it was an unintentional wave of, of a fair catch, I get that. Okay, that's fine. But on a kickoff, if you fair catch, the ball goes to the inside, out, outside the 25, in between the 25 and the goal line, the ball comes to the 25. They made that rule a couple years ago to reduce the amount of um, injuries on kickoffs because that way I can fair catch it at the 5 and that goes to the 25. It's a touchback. Why, why was that downed at the 10? I don't get it. Did they explain? Did it was it? Did the ball bounce and you can't fair catch it? I don't know. I don't remember if the ball bounced or not. I thought it was just a weird lame duck kind of kick, but I thought you couldn't fair catch a bounce ball anyway. I thought if you fair catch and the ball bounced, then you're then it's a, then it's a live ball if you pick it up. That's what I used to think, but what do I know? So that was weird. I don't know if I'll call that a mistake, but anyway, we can now talk about the good stuff. That's we spent a little bit too much time. We might be here a little bit complaining there. But we're done complaining. We're done complaining. We are almost certainly bowl eligible. Knock on wood, you know, we, we should, I think, um, beat Tennessee State. Honestly, I think we're going to beat at least one more SEC team, but we should beat Tennessee State. So looking like we've got that locked up. Um, Will Rogers and LaQuiston Sharp had SEC weekly honors, so that's a good thing. Uh, and, of course, we won the game. We dominated a top 12 team. What is your – Thoughts about the whole win and just how we played overall? I mean, I like how, I mean, I like the balance. We ran the ball efficiently. And uh, Will, Will was smart with the ball. I mean, outside of like one or two throws in which he got lucky, one of them I know he got lucky. I think he did play a, a, an exceptional ball game, and you're you're right. We dominated a top twelve team. Now here's here's the thing. First of all, we should beat Kentucky. I'm tired of Kentucky. The funniest thing to me is Kentucky fans winning three ball games at home in the past six years at home. And I don't care what you can say. All three of those games were fluky and weird. You had the Peter Sermon year when you lost on a on a career-long field goal by the senior field goal kicker in 2016. You have Joe Moorhead go up there in the rain and a terrible officiating performance, but we've made more mistakes than I've ever seen a football team make, except for maybe the next year the next time we went up to Kentucky where we had six turnovers, even though Kentucky only managed and less than 160 yards of offense, uh, Kentucky still won. So they win those three games. Only They can't beat us here, and they, they somehow think that they're supposed to beat us. I, we are supposed to beat Kentucky. I, and I, and In my lifetime, we are supposed to beat Kentucky, and we're supposed to beat Arkansas. And I and I know that hurts some people's feelings in both fan bases, but I, I firmly believe that. And, and it will take probably five years of, of losses cons- consistently before I change my opinion about that. But we should beat them. I think they are a little bit overrated at, at the top 12. Would you agree there? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, their best win is like a 4-4 Florida. Yep. And, and here's another thing. I thought, I really did, 
that Kentucky wasn't going to be that good this year. And then I thought, you know, until last week that I was wrong and that they are pretty good. And I was to an extent. They're better than I thought still. But here's here's the, the real key. The teams they played are worse. Florida and Missouri are worse than I thought. That's where I, we were incorrect. I thought Missouri was going to be pretty good. I didn't realize how terrible their defense would be. And I thought Florida would be better than they are. So that is what's uh, happened with, uh, with, with those teams. And, again, Kentucky, they get Tennessee at home this weekend. And if they pull that one out, they're going to go 10-2, and two, which is insane. Absolutely insane. So we're going to have that notch on our belt to have either a 9-3 and three or 10-2 and two team uh, that come in here and get beat pretty handily. But we uh, bottled up one of the best rushing attacks in the SEC. Chris Rodriguez was leading the SEC in yards um, uh, at, uh, coming into this week. He had just come off a of bye week, so it's not like he's got an extra game or anything. Coming into Saturday night was leading the SEC in rushing yards. He is not anymore. It's actually Missouri's running back now. Uh, we also ran the ball effectively, and they kind of dialed it in, and they made it look a lot more respectable from a yards per carry standpoint than it was earlier. You did have a 10-yard run called back. You had a lot of negative plays that happened due to uh, two sacks and a couple other things, but we really ran the ball effectively, which you don't really think about with the air raid. Another thing I want to talk about us running the ball is I, this proves it. This absolutely proves it. And, it, and it makes me upset. People be like, Mike Leach is stubborn. He won't run the ball if he had to. He won't run the ball if it was third and one from the from the goal of, or third and goal from the one yard line, and he's got Marshawn Lynch. He's gonna throw the ball, you know, like talk about Seattle and the Super Bowl, something like that. They they think that that's what he is, guys. He ran the ball just as much as he passed it. I think it was thirty five to thirty six today uh, on this in this game because that's what the defense gave it. Mike Leach is not stubborn. If he needs to run the ball, he run the ball. And here's what I want to tell people. He knows more about football than pretty much everybody in the room, except for, you know, you're the Nick Sabans of the world. I I really think Mike Leach knowledge knowledge wise has an edge over most coaches. You know. He knows if he needs to run the ball. Okay. He is aware and if he needs to run the ball, he's gonna do it. So I don't like this whole you have to be balanced. Mike Leach has proven over his career that you don't have to run 50% of the time to, to win football games. I will say this, though. When you can run it effectively to just kind of keep people honest, it's a huge help. And we've been able to do that in pretty much every game this year. That doesn't mean that we've gotten except Alabama. That doesn't mean that we haven't um, – that we have run the ball a ton. There's some games where there's just no need to, but the threat is has always been there, and that's really helpful. It yeah. makes offense home. But, again, you don't have to run it 30 times to win in this offense. You don't. Will Rogers, and, and you have your receipts, don't you? See, there's so many emails. Y'all just go to my, tool, just go to my account and look. Well, we'll just pick through the highlights. If I have to pause the recording for us to pick out some highlights, we will. But uh, I, I'm sure there's quite a few about Will Rogers. Um, he was, and I haven't heard this word used to describe it, but there's it's the only word to describe it. Will Rogers was surgical. 
36 of 39, and only one of those three incompletions was a bad throw. He had one bad throw in 39 attempts. One got batted away on a great play by DB, and one, one of the early ones, was dropped, completely dropped. That would have probably would have been a first down by Jaquavius Marks. Another thing I want to think about Will Rogers, this is his 14th start. Think about COVID and how everything happened. I'm going to give you some news here. Yesterday was the first game of his sophomore year. If you think, and I know true freshmen don't often start or whatever, but if, if he came in as a true freshman and played quarterback, which is kind of what you would you would treat how you would treat it since he doesn't have a spring. He didn't have a spring last year. He had a weird fall where he had COVID during the fall. He missed a lot of practice. So we'll call uh, that, that mop-up duty against Alabama and Kentucky last year uh, – Fall camp, that's what we'll say. That, that that was his fall camp. His first start, his first game of the year was Vanderbilt. The first game of his sophomore year was Saturday. And he's doing this already. That's incredible. He's averaging about nine yards per completion yesterday. That's a lot better than what it was uh, last year and earlier this year. The, I think that him and the offense are hitting their stride. Now, here's the thing. What, what was the kind of point totals – Say the offense is hitting their stride. When Leach was hired, what, what were the point totals you were expecting from the Mike Leach offense? Oh, say that one more time. So let's say, you know, Mike Leach is hired. And mm-hmm. I'm and I say to you, once everything is clicking the way it's supposed to be on offense, how much do you think they're gonna score? Go back to January of twenty twenty. Okay. So, for example, like the all, I think the average college football offense. If you're there's 130 teams, the uh, the 65th team scores about 30 points per game. So, what did you think Mike Leach was going to do once he had everything installed and and, and to fine tune the way he wanted it? Somewhere around 32, 33 points a game, maybe. So you, so you, so you're, so he's meeting your expectations. You would think. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Cause I mean, first of all, we're we're moving the ball unlike we did last year. So uh, <laughs> my expectations were, I mean, ball was set so low last year. Right. Mean, what what I'm getting at is is I is I would say two things. The offense is clicking, is pretty much on all cylinders, except for the penalties. But when Leach was hired, I thought to myself, once we're clicking on all cylinders, we're going to score 45 points regularly, 40 a game. We'll hit 50 a couple times, you know, like Ole Miss, like Alabama. And here's the thing. We're not going to do that very often. Against Vanderbilt, we will, but we're not going to do that very often, and it's not because the offense is limited. It's because of the ball control. They possess – I never would have guessed, and I watched a lot of Washington State games because um, I always was intrigued. I would have never realized how ball-dominant this offense is and how big a role that plays. They can't score 45 points a game because they, they their possessions are too long, which is a good thing. You know, they, there's, they're, they're going to shorten the game on you with a passing game. 
which you usually think the, the teams that shorten the game are the triple option teams that run the ball and have eight-minute drives, you know, or the, 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 the spread teams that have the power run threat, you know, like Mississippi State before Dak Prescott was, was really humming, throwing the ball, you know, think about 2013 and 14 Mississippi State. Those, those teams would shorten the game on you a little bit. We're doing that through the air. The ball control is insane. You know, used to, time of possession was a super important stat, and now these days it really doesn't tell you much. Time of possession plus turnovers can be an important stat, and we won both, but we had the ball for 41 out of 60 minutes. If you've got the ball that long, I don't see how you could you could lose the game. And, and honestly, we probably had something like that against Arkansas and Kentucky last year because the defense played so well and we just gave them the ball on offense. But that is just – honestly, it's a form of defense. I think our best – sometimes our best defense is possessing the ball for so long that Kentucky or Vanderbilt or whoever doesn't get a chance. Back-to-back weeks – and I'm, I, this is a tough stat to find, but I bet you it's the only time it's been done in history because we were only the third team since the two, year 2000 to do it – I get to hold a team to under 45 plays – but back-to-back games with under 50 plays allowed. And that's turnovers and uh, time of possession. That's just incredible. I I love, again, offense is becoming a defense because they just don't get – we got the ball back in Kentucky with about 7.50 left in the fourth quarter, and we didn't score, and Kentucky never got the ball back. We just ran plays for seven minutes and fifty seconds. That's incredible. I, and we talk about people, teams liking to go hurry up and stuff like that. You saw in that Arkansas Ole Miss game, right, where it was like I think forty-two to forty-two or something like that, and there's like two minutes left, and you're like, man, so this game's going to end like forty-two to forty-five or forty-two to forty-eight or something. No, each team scored two more times. You had a. Uh, or I think it was like 38-38, and then each team scored two more touchdowns in like the last two two minutes. You're like, oh my gosh, what is going on? That that hecticness isn't going to happen with us because a the defense is really good, b the offense just holds on the ball for so long. It's it's really amazing to see. Speaking of defense, what did you think of how particularly the defense played without Martin Emerson, without Fred Peters? Um, uh, Saturday. Oh, I, I thought they played great. Fabulous football. They shit quarterbacks held their own. Um, they just, they feel like got enough, got enough fresh air in my eyes. I mean, you know, we, we just, particularly, I'm just impressed with the secondary, really, because you get your two starters out, and they're still out there making plays. I think it's really – we held them to 3.3 yards per carry, which is really, really good. They're one of the – like I said, one of the better offensive teams as far as on the ground in the SEC. Turnovers were amazing. Um, we made Will Levis really look pedestrian. Steve Robertson says that on his show today. They cannot recruit a quarterback at Kentucky. You know how all their quarterbacks over the past few years have been transfers or just garbage, sometimes both. Because they can't develop, they can't identify. It's really a skill that Dan Mullen kind of perfected uh, 
over his years. And, you know, I don't really want to say he's doing anything perfect right now. Just look at him. But identifying high school talent and and crafting them into a very good quarterback. He did it with Nick Fitzgerald and Dak Prescott. Mark Stoops is a pretty good coach, but they can't do it at Kentucky. they got to get these transfers. And here's the thing. Transfers transfer for a reason. Will Levis was is a pretty serviceable, better than better than game manager. I think one one notch ahead of a game manager quarterback. But against a defense like ours, he looks pretty pedestrian. He had one positive rushing attempt. Uh, he there's they did they couldn't get the design run going at all for him, and he threw three interceptions. Fred Peters missed. We talked about it. Martin Emerson missed. Fred Peters actually did. I, I don't know if I said it earlier in the show. He, his child was born on Saturday night, Saturday, or maybe Friday, I don't know. But he had a child born over the weekend, so he was not going to the game, uh, oddly enough. I have no idea why Katravius Johnson didn't play. I saw today that the charges that he accrued on Memorial Day for like a misdemeanor were dropped this morning, but I don't know what that had to do with Saturday. It doesn't sound – if you drop charges, that doesn't mean you shouldn't play football. That doesn't make sense. And then Martin Emerson, I think that targeting call, we, we didn't even mention it with the officiating. I don't think it was targeting. I think it looks like targeting because when he, he hit him so hard in the chin or in the or in the collarbone, I should say, with his arms that the receiver's head kind of snapped back and it looks like targeting. But I don't think it was targeting. And they didn't have a great camera angle to overturn it. But we shorthanded, not great officiating, still really dominated the game. I was pretty impressed. Moving on now, we're gonna. We did not have free money picks to look over. Uh, I will ask you though, how did your bets go this weekend? I know you picked. You 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 hit one of them. How many did you have? How how did you do? Well, I put Mississippi State over hit, and I took the. Under in the Ole Miss Auburn game, it wasn't looking good. It wasn't looking pretty early. It was, but that was a sixty-six and a half. Okay, uh, there you go. Because that you're right. That there was a lot of points early in the game, and then they didn't. They couldn't do anything in the second half. No, absolutely not. So I won that. Uh, let's see. Well, uh, West Virginia plus seven and a half against Iowa State was a winner. All right. Did, did West Virginia win that game outright? I know it was an overtime. No, they did no, not. Interesting. I think, yeah, I think Iowa State won. I'm trying. I don't remember, but they. I know they definitely didn't cover because it was a very close game. It was an overtime. It's really hard to win an overtime by more than seven, and you had to, they had to do that. So. Well, my college football bets worked out a little bit better than my NFL bets, to say the least. See, once you start making too many bets, you almost can't win because you're going to lose somewhere. Yeah, well, that's what the well. All right. That's what for. You're right. You're right. Going on to our picks, there weren't many. I think you had you had it. Um, the score, us winning 24-17, I had us winning 28-24. We were both pretty close because you were – or no, you had 24-21. So you were closer to Kentucky's and I was closer to ours. 
But I, I beat you by one point, which puts us back tied because we both picked Georgia to beat Florida. We both picked Missouri to pick Vanderbilt to beat Vanderbilt, and they almost didn't. Vanderbilt should have won that game. And we both picked Auburn to beat Ole Miss. I thought I was going to have to pick Ole Miss to win just to go against you but because I, I thought I was down two, but I was only down one because um, of the score last week. So we're right here close. We're back, back tied again with the – now, I have a disadvantage here on our, on the score from now on because you know Arkansas better than I do. And this week and next week, there's going to be a lot more SEC games. So it's about to pick right back up because it's, you know, at the at the early, the, the, the first of the year, you have a lot of easy games because it's non-conference. And then the, the, the weeks like three through five, everybody's playing. Nobody's got to buy. We've had a bunch of buy weeks recently. And then at the end of the year, there's always one weekend where there's a lot of non-conference, but this weekend and the next weekend, there's going to be a lot of conference games. So we have a lot. It's now very, very interesting and very difficult. Like I said, you're better at picking these games than I do, and that might be from your gambling background. But uh, looks like we're going to do pretty well. I actually saw, and I should have called people out, right after I published the episode with my score prediction, I saw a lot of the exact. I saw at least three of the exact same score predictions. Twenty-eight, twenty-four. Just odd. Is there anything else to, to add to that other than it was just a great time in Davis Wade Saturday night? Right. All I can say is, I think I think this is a good stretch. We give us a hot streak. I think. We're, we're getting hot at the right time, of course, to say anything baseball, but, like, I'd, I'd you, have, gain, you gain that momentum, you gain that confidence. Like, they can go to Fayetteville and win. I have to agree, and, and I'll go ahead and spoil a little bit of a Friday show. I'm going to – I predict, unless an injury happens in practice that we find out about, knock on wood, um, I'm predicting us to beat Arkansas. I think we can. I think we will. And quite honestly, uh, I think we, we have a little bit turn of a turn to corner. I think we'll let, win at least one more game other than the Tennessee State game. And if we go 7-5, and five, that's a satisfactory season to me. That's what I thought we'd do. If we win one more than that, I think it's a great season. I, I'm, and I, I'm pretty I – don't, I don't want to say confident we're going to win three of these games because I'm not confident, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if you win three of these next four. Wouldn't be, I would only be a little bit surprised if you won all four. I think going into on the planes is going to be difficult, but the fact that that's 11 a.m. kick helps us a little bit. All that seems like all of those uh, horrible nightmares we've had out there recently in recent years have been at night. Oh, yeah, I, I'm telling tell you, that place is a house of horrors at night. It's like, almost like Baton Rouge. It's just, yeah. and we we've think, had we've had better success in Baton Rouge in, in late afternoon or at night than we have for most teams. I'm saying I think it's worse. I think Jordan Harris worse than Baton Rouge. Really? Yo, easily for Mississippi State. Oh, for us, for us, the past five or ten years, I would have to agree. I think we won in there in 2015 at night. Well, uh, was, Auburn was that, bad. That, that, that was a bad Auburn team. Auburn was very bad. All right, that's all we've got um, for today. We will be back on Friday morning, Thursday night uh, to preview Arkansas, talk about things that we've got. Basketball is also coming up. Either the next show or the next show after that, we'll feature some basketball updates. All right, so we'll get into that 
and uh, very, very exciting. As always, you know the drill. Swing your sword and hail state.